Hey, Pro fans, thanks for your support. Whether you're subscribing to the podcast through iTunes, visiting pulpmx.com, streaming the show via the Stitcher app on your smartphone, or buying from our show sponsor, btosports.com, without you, we could not do this. You can still type M-A-T-T-H-E-S upon checkout at btosports.com if your order is $100 or more for a discount. Lastly, for some insider info and maybe a laugh or two, Follow Mathis's Twitter updates at twitter.com slash pulpmx. episode of the Steve Mathis Show, there is a high chanceability. You will either learn something a lot of people don't know. You left thinking or make you say to yourself Dude, that's so funny. The bottom line is, this podcast serves as archival documentation of this interview. Welcome to the BTOsports.com podcast show, brought to you by RacerX, hosted by Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast show. As always, I'm your host, Steve Mathis, and with me on the line is a guy that I've been trying to track down for a while, a guy who's seen it and done it all in the motorcycling world. Ron Heben, Slicer, what's up? Hey, how are you, Mathis? I'm, uh, I'm happy to be on the RacerX uh, podcast. I've been uh, we finally got trying to done. do this for a long time. <laughs> I know. We've been missing each other. You've been busy. I've been busy. Well, now... First of all, how'd you get the nickname Slicer? Because that's all anybody calls you. Yeah. Well, Slicer, really, a lot of people think it has something to do with my golf game, but it's nothing. It's uh, back in the old days when uh, we drove box vans uh-huh. across the country. I got my name Slicer just because how I used to be able to get through the traffic. Oh, ah, okay. All right. Now we know. Dude, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, forever you've been Slicer. You know, growing up reading the magazines, it's been slicer this or slicer that but uh you've been in the in the sport as a mechanic as a manager now you're in the road race end of things for 30 years 40 years long time long um, time no doubt um so right now you're doing uh you're running the uh yamaha extended service pat clark graves yamaha road race team and that comes on the heels of you working at r- managing the honda road race team i'm curious how do you like road racing compared to moto well, racing is uh, is really Steve is in my blood. It's something I really have a passion for, and obviously, ever since I was little, riding motorcycles mm-hmm. has uh, brought me to this to be able to to make a living by doing something I really love and enjoy. And you know, road racing is a is a different breed of racing, and and the racers are a little bit different. But bottom line is that it's competition, mm-hmm. and uh, competition brings out the best in everyone. Right. Uh, the road racing, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of crossover. I mean, you look at a lot of, uh, 
a lot of the road racers ride moto for for training and conditioning and you know it's just a, a little bit different but on the other hand it's it's racing and it's something i really enjoy yeah so what's the biggest difference i'm going to guess there's more whining in road race racers than motocrossers that's just a guess yeah, well other than uh, no the the tires are awful funny oh they are to, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah motocross bike the um uh, you know it's I kind of look at road racing as the country club of racing in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it's it's a nice it's a nice facility that we generally go to. Yeah. Considering that back in the old days, and you know, outdoor nationals were what they were, and they certainly have stepped up their uh, their whole facilities and programs over the years. Right. But you know, road racing is a uh, it's. You have Umbrella Girls, which is certainly a nice pageantry to bring to the sport. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you just you appreciate that. And, the, obviously, you, there's a need for that. You don't want the guys getting hot, so you got to have an umbrella to oh, keep those guys shaded. Of course. Important. But uh, the physical aspect of it, I mean, you've got, you know, a motorcycle that weighs 370 pounds, close to 200 horsepower, and it's, it's a beast. It's yeah. You know, it's basically just trying to uh, throw it, throw you on the ground, and it's finesse. The riders come in, and the longevity of the riders is a little bit longer than than what we see in motocross and supercross. Mm-hmm. You know, the attrition rate is 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 less, but it certainly takes a talented rider to do some of the things that we do. And you know, as, as you are, and and myself, and so many of us that work in the industry, we're so privileged to be surrounded by such talented athletes. That we take things for granted right. about the abilities and the things that they do. That you know, the the like if I got on a road race bike or just a motocross bike was would be impossible to do. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, you know, it's a different discipline, but they're still pretty pretty talented guys. Uh, the last time I went to a road race a few years back uh, up in uh, San Fran. What's that track up there? Uh, Infineon. Infineon. Yes, and. Uh, a lot of old motocrossers walking around just uh, in, 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 the, in, the, in the industry, in the road race industry now. Or the crossovers, helmet guys and, and uh, gear guys and, and that kind of stuff. So it, it definitely was uh, a little bit similar to the supercross pits. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that almost kind of took off was uh, supermoto. Right. And that was really a great transition that brought some of the best of everyone together. I mean, when the X Games first did it and Red Bull and KTM got involved with uh, – the series there, you know, you saw of all walks of life being mm-hmm. able to kind of go, and it really was something from what Galvin Tripp did way back in the early 80s from the Superbikers, yeah. uh, which was really, really a, a cool event. Uh, and, you know, you got you had guys that were really good, you know, at riding Supercross, Motocross, and mm-hmm. really good at in road racing and dirt track, and, and all of those, all of a sudden, they're all in the same playing field, kind of, and it was it was pretty unique yeah supermoto was cool it's too bad it went away I, I ask people that all the time like what happened and it's just different answers and different things but uh yeah supermoto was was cool for sure and, and you with your capacity at ktm you had something to do with it you were pretty heavily involved with it huh at one time yeah we actually fortunately we were you know i was at a one point in ktm where we were we were involved with a lot of types of racing and obviously ktm's there you know, their heart and soul is in off-road and, you know, National Enduro and GNCC and, right. and things like that. And then, and then they, you know, they in, in Europe, they're obviously successful in so many other 
uh, types of racing, but in the United States, Supercross was relatively new to them, and they wanted to get their foot in there. But then all this opportunity, because of their involvement with Supermoto in Europe, mm-hmm. to kind of inter- to help reintroduce it here to the United States. And uh, it was exciting. Yeah, it was cool times, and, and even some titles were won, so that's good. Um, I'm interested in getting in, back into your into your background in the uh, into the moto side of things. Where where did you grow up, Slicer? Well, I grew up I grew up in Pennsylvania, and those from <laughs> Pennsylvania know what Pennsylvania is. So I was uh, just uh, you know just a regular kid who wanted to to ride motorcycles, and obviously back in those days, those were back in the air cooled days, Steve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, we were able to just to kind of go ride wherever we wanted to go ride, and we'd go and race the Florida series in the in the winter time, and I uh, I did all that, and and then uh, my ambition was to continue to go racing, and decided to come out to California, which was you know really the the mecca of racing yeah. at that time. This is the, the late seventies, yep. early eighties, and um, was a good friend with Marty Tripes, and uh, I was able to stay with him for a while and, and work with him a little bit on mm-hmm. some different stuff. And, you know, that's kind of how I got started. And luckily, really kind of through Marty Trice, was able to get my foot in the door at Yamaha as a technician. And, uh, and it just kind of all started from there. Did you, uh, how did you meet Marty Trice? So he's a, he's a San Diego guy. Uh, how did you get in touch with him? Was it from just racing against him? No, nah, funny. Uh, I mean, this is a funny story. We were at Copetown, Ontario. We were up there racing a support class, right. and uh, Mar- this is, I think, early like, like 1972 or something. Marty was just 16, and he was riding for the Jones Yamaha team at that time. And it was uh, the night before the race, the night after the race. When, I think it was the night after the race, and we were on one side of the hill, and all the you know we were like the the privateer guys, right. and then the factory trucks were on the other side of the hill in Copetown, Ontario, and. Someone started shooting bottle rockets, <laughs> and uh, we're going, hey, this is like, okay, we got to do this. So right. we started then kind of have a firing zone over the valleys <laughs> of uh, bottle rockets back at each other. And uh, after we, I think we ran out of bottle rockets, we figured out who we, you know, we need to find out who we're shooting at. And come to find out it was Marty Tripes who was bored and <laughs> the, the typical prankster that he was, you yeah. know, we kind of uh, introduced ourselves at that point, And every time when he would come back, East, you know, at that point they had Trans Ams and yep. Inter Ams. Uh, we would be able to, you know, he came by the house and stayed, and it was oh, really cool. just a yeah. genuine good guy. And uh, he always said, "Hey, if you ever come out to California, give me a call." So <laughs> I did. You're like, "Hey, I'm, I'm here. I moved out here. <laughs> Where's the couch?" <laughs> yeah. Well, that was pretty much it, exactly. Um, so were you all uh, as you were racing? You know, it was the same thing with me. I, I raced and. All of a sudden, I realized I wasn't good enough, but I wanted to keep going. So I picked up the wrenches, you know, and started started learning that way. Is it kind of how, how it started for you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. you get to the point where you, you know, like I think in any competitor, you figure out, you know, either you're going to make it or not. And um, But the sport is so good, and it's like, okay, if I can't be a racer, then I want to continue to stay in this sport. Uh, at that time, the next best thing was to be a mechanic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, I said, Timing is so important in our industry, you know, and, and just the timing was just right. Yamaha was just starting a off-road department, and uh, I got tied in with uh, to be Larry Rosler's Baja and six in six days an enduros mechanic. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, the first day I went up there, I actually went up there to, to 
uh, my first day of work, I went up there actually to quit because <laughs> it's like I'm really not qualified yeah. to be a off-road Baja mechanic. I grew up in Pennsylvania, <laughs> not that much desert, you know, right. uh, in in Pennsylvania. So uh, the first thing we did is fortunately, uh, again, I was very fortunate working with Larry. The first thing we did on the weekend, we went riding in the desert. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay, you know, it's yeah. parts are parts. Um, obviously building a bike to, or preparing your bike to do a hair scramble or a motocross, uh, there's a, a system and a process that you need to do. Right. And that certainly relates to building a bike to do the Baja 1000. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just, uh, it's just placing the right parts and, and putting a priority to what needs to be accomplished. And, uh, and what, maybe a little more safety wire for a Baja, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, so Larry Roser and your your off road guy and and did did you like it? Did you get to enjoy it? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, we were so fortunate. And again, here I am, just a a, a kid from Pennsylvania, and right. I'm now working for the factory. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. something you dreamed of. Right. You know, you had access to all the parts <clears throat> you used to buy or or steal or rob or whatever. I mean, at right. your fingertips. And um, the guys that we had. I mean, we had Larry Roser, Jack Johnson. Uh, Jim Fishback, Bob Rutten, you know, yeah. uh, just a host of good guys. It was a startup program, and we did a variety of things. We did, you know, for two years when they did that, we won every single Baja event, uh, score Baja race there was. Uh, Bob Oliver Stewart is still at Yamaha. Yeah. Uh, him and I, Bob did, he was kind of on the enduro side, and I did the 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 uh, Baja side, right? So, but we were always teamed up together doing different things. And uh, John Farrow was another guy who was really instrumental and in helped me kind of learn different things that I needed to do in, in that arena of racing. And, uh, you know, it was just a, a great time. Obviously, you know, there's no better experience when you go and do an event and you've got really good guys and you win. And, yeah, and I can yeah. say we're really fortunate that in everything that we did in, uh, in off-road, you know, we were successful, and it was great. And, and two other riders that I failed to mention on that that were really instrumental and, and you know, provided a mm-hmm. big boost to the whole program was uh, Chuck Miller and Bruce Ogilvie. Yeah, well, I was the, those are the two names I recognize along with Rosler, but the other guys I didn't really know. But I mean. yeah, well, Fishback, Jim Fishback is you know known as the animal. I mean, he is a crazy guy. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know he was a known very well very well known doing Speedway. Oh, okay. So, you know, Speedway was real popular early in the 80s, and mm-hmm. they would ra- we'd go watch him race on, you know, Wednesday night in San Bernardino, and then on Friday night or Saturday night at Orange County, and it was it was uh-huh. a different time in racing. I think there was, you know, a year was, it wasn't so, it was serious, it was work, but it wasn't as serious because yeah. maybe there's not so much on the line as there is today. Um, were you working alongside the moto guys like McCarty and, and uh, Ken Clark and those guys? Was it right? Well, Same idea? Kenny Clark uh, was my, was the, the head of the department. I actually reported to Bill Bell when I first started uh-huh. and uh, did that for two years. And then, I, you know, at the end of two years, we had a meeting every August at the end of the season and yep. Kenny would come in and go, Okay, this is what we're doing. You're doing this. You're doing that. I'm doing, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we had that typical meeting in August, and they just said, "Okay, this is what we're doing." You know, McCarty, you're going to be doing this, and Jim Felt was there, and you know, all these these guys that are just so well known, and uh, that you have so much respect for because right. what they've accomplished and what they could 
the magic they could do to a motorcycle. Yeah. That uh, I got then I got put into the motocross side of things, and I was Mike Bell's mechanic. Oh, which okay. Was just uh, it was like okay now. I'm really not qualified to do this. This is factory, you know, OW yeah, you're race like, bike. You're like, wait a minute. I got I fooled them on the desert side. Yeah, I know, yeah. You kinda just go it's like, you know, you're studying for a test and you don't even ever test and you kinda yeah. pass and you go, Woo, okay, made it. But you know, obviously we had uh you know, to win races you have to finish races and as you know as being a technician, that's our job. Yeah. And uh again and having really smart riders that in particular in a Baja 1000 is that you've got to finish a thousand miles. So yeah. not everything goes perfectly. And the riders that we had were smart enough and they knew what to do. And, and you know, we got to right. the finish and fortunately we got to the finish many times before the other guys. So it was good. The, uh, the good thing about, about, uh, working for, um, um, Mike Bell was that, you know, it was OW bike and it was factory Yamaha. But the bad thing is, is Bell kind of struggled with injuries that year, huh? Yeah. Mike is, uh, this is, you know, pre knee braces and all this yeah. stuff. And Mike is tall as he was, was just, he was just phenomenal in the whoops, but you know, he'd go into the corner and just be banging his knees yeah. and catching his ankles in ruts. And he always kind of had a fight with knee injuries and, you know, we, we had an up-and-down season. I think the, the biggest highlight of the year was uh, they had the Super Bowl motocross, and mm-hmm. we'd been injured, and Mike came back, and the Yamahas on that day, uh, Mike ended up winning the Super Bowl motocross at L.A. Coliseum, and, and Brock Glover got second. And, you know, the whole season we had been getting our ass kicked by the Honda guys. Right. And uh, that race going into it, we basically just kind of changed the graphics on our bikes. And that well, I don't know really what it was. What but, happened? Uh, yeah. <laughs> whatever it was, it was magical because, uh, you know, the guys did their job and they won the race. And it is such a pretty cool experience. Of, you know, when Mike stopped and picked me up and at the mechanics area, you know, and rode me up to the parasol up to where the podium was, yeah, it was yeah. really, really cool. You know, you're oh. just like going, wow, this is, this and, is awesome. And how old are you at this time, do you think? I'm, uh, I was probably 24, yeah, 20, yeah 24, something like that, yeah, I guess. You, just, you know, just again, it was right. just like, this is amazing, you know. And then again, it, it comes back to, I, I think that the things that we take for granted is when you're at a Supercross and you walk down on the floor with your rider and you're sitting there before the main event and you look up in the stands and there's 40,000, 50,000 people who have come to watch your guy do what he does best. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, it's it's really really special. Yeah, no, uh, and, and, and really, your first year mechanic, first year on the Supercross scene, and you're winning a, a 250 main event, big deal. You know, I can if you relate that to, to nowadays, which is which you can. That's a that's a big yeah. accomplishment. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the the Yamahas definitely weren't um on par with some of the works bikes. Did you have any Hannah stories where he was yelling at everybody because the bike sucked? Yeah. Well, now Bob was, uh, you know. Bob and Keith, when you're in your own box fans like we were at that time, That's true, we were right. all kind of just our right. own, you know, our own soldiers or sometimes our own worst enemies, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and Bob yeah. had theirs, and, you know, they, there, it was a team, but on the other hand is that we were kind of responsible for taking care of our own stuff. We, right. you know, John Rosenstiel was Brock Glover's mechanic, and Keith was Hannah's mechanic, and I was Bell's mechanic, and, you know, Bevo was around, and, I mean, there was, 
a lot of people and, and Jim Feld actually had um was was there and then he had left with with to go with Johnny over to the Honda side. But um who worked you for, know, who worked for RJ? That would have been Oh, I'm sorry. Uh Ricky was Cliff was Bob Oliver and then Cliff. Oh that's left. right, yeah, that's right. Bob Bob was the one where with the wheel broke. Yeah. yeah. Actually interesting story real quick since we're on this is yeah. that I actually was lucky enough to be Ricky Johnson's very first mechanic. Uh, and actually, it's probably his very last mechanic. I'm not sure if that's yeah, good or bad. Yeah, we'll get to that. In but, a, in the, yeah, but what happened in the very first one? The first one was we were at, we were doing the Mint 400 with Larry Rossler, and uh, Larry crashed and broke his collarbone. Mm-hmm. So I went up and got him, came back, and unloaded all my stuff. And, you know, Kenny Clark was uh, just a, a good boss and just a character, but he came back and I'd report to him. I'd say, hey, you know, we're going to be out for about six weeks. Yeah. So later on that day, he goes, okay, Heben, he goes, here's what you're doing. We got this young punk who thinks he's really fast. He's just turning 16. You need to go get him, take him to his first pro race, and just take him on the road for, for a road trip. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so I was like, all right, Kenny, who is this guy? So my wife now, Sandy, used to work at Yamaha. Oh, okay. And she worked in a department called Competition Support. Mm-hmm. And uh, she... Uh, knew the Johnsons very well, as all everyone at the, in the support programs know. So she called up Ricky's mom and said, "Hey, you know, Ron, he's a, he's you know he's a somewhat of a legit person. He's coming down and he's going to take your kid and he's going to take him for three or four weeks on the road and take him to his first race and blah blah blah." And so, okay, so then we did that. So I come down to drive down to El Cajon, you know, kind of introduce myself. Give me whatever parts you got. I got a bunch of 125 parts, and we went to Rotolana for Ricky's first race. And, oh, uh, wow. We did that, and uh, that, was, uh, that road trip was, was amazing. It's surprising we're, still, we're both alive because I allowed <laughs> Ricky to try to drive the Fox van in Texas, and uh, we just about got taken out by a, a, a big-ass truck. But uh, we're, that was really, really fun, and, and Ricky's such a talented kid, and you know, unfortunately, there's a prime example of injuries have have stopped the guy's career because he yeah. was, when he was at the at Honda, he was on such a roll and, and so dominant. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, uh, an injury and you know you're you're sidelined. Yeah, yeah. Although he did accomplish quite a bit, you know, to, to, you know, before he got hurt. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's funny. So and then actually, John Johnson dislocated his hip in '83, and it looked like his career might be over and. You know, it was a, kind of a big deal. So he he, yep. he definitely fought back. So, eighty two, you're with Bell. Eighty three, you're with Bell too. Yeah, eighty three with Bell, uh, Mount Morris, Mike. They had this triple there, and and Mike launched. This is the first time they were starting to do this, like a triple, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, anyway, Mike in practice on Saturday launched it and just didn't jump it properly and just blew his knee up. Now was it? <laughs> And uh, that was pretty much it. And then um, I think then I got then uh, you know the amateur programs with Loretta's was starting to get pretty popular back then. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, then assigned to work with newcomer on the block, which was Keith Bowen. Oh, okay, in '83, yeah. And Bowen was fast, right? As an amateur, he was the man. Bowen was fast as an amateur. Bowen was incredibly fast for a couple laps as a pro. <laughs> I mean, right. you know, his uh, Keith. 
coming from Michigan, I'm not sure. You know, coming out to California and stuff might have been a little bit too much for him or yeah. just maybe overwhelming. But I worked with Keith for two or three years. I can't remember. Uh, oh, so um, that, after, Bell, after Bell got hurt, they were basically like, hey, you're going to be Bowen's guy from amateur to pro, and you work for yeah. him for those next few years. Yeah, oh, I didn't know we, and uh, again, we'd be, you know, amazingly some of the things he would do. And, right. and But, uh, again, uh, I, I bet you, if, you know, if Keith could look back, he would probably do a couple things a little bit different because he sure had a lot of God-given talent. And then yeah. and at times when he displayed it, no, everyone would just go, wow, what's he doing? You know, I mean, sometimes we'd you'd see him in the whoops and, and do things that was really good. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> you know, whether it was his heart or just conditioning or, or right. outside distractions, it just didn't work out. Well, I was uh, I was looking through um, an old magazine, and in 86, he was almost in the points lead after like four or five races. He had won a couple races, and think you guys were holding it together. And, uh, you know, he was, he was right up there. So Yeah, oh, yeah we, we had, I mean, yeah, his, uh, you know, it's different than when we were a mechanic and box fan. I mean, mm-hmm. you... You you didn't have to have all the as you wouldn't be so diplomatic on some of the things right. you did you know and and uh, we could yell at each other and you know right. lock him in the truck and do different things and but I mean you know amazingly Keith I remember at Redbud which was Keith's home track right. you know the first moto he comes in and it's hot and it's humid and that was always around Fourth of July weekend the last lap I mean he's unbuckling his helmet comes in across and he's just like pathetic and i'm going yeah. bones what are we doing this is your home track you know yeah, yeah. this is and we're riding 125 right. i'm going and he came in and our japanese engineers there's going you know what's up and i'm going well we got a problem we got a tongue in the front wheel and we got a <laughs> and that threw a curve to him because he's trying to figure out what's what you know, is what's a tongue, the, in, the what's the tongue in the front hey, wheel ronson what is what is tongue yeah. <laughs> so we so we, like, I, I told him, I said, just get away from me. You know, I'll have you a bike. It'll be at the starting line. If you want to race it, the next race, this is, again, Red yeah. Bud. Oh, wow. So you, you, race, you got it's pissed. There. Yeah, yeah. And from being so pathetic, the first moto goes out the second moto and just kicks everyone's ass. Really? You know, and you're yeah, going, yeah. Bones, where did that come from? That's yeah. the Bones we know, you know. But yeah, yeah. getting him to do that. And there one week we would go, I'm, we were leading the championship. And then the next week, you know, the he'd get out of the wrong side of the bed, and yeah. he was just not so good, you know. But uh, those are all things you just, you know, you keep in your memory back. There's, there's good and bad about going to every race, and yeah. you try to find something good out of, whatever happened on that day, you know? I don't imagine you being the type of personality to be a Brian Lunas whip cracker guy. You know, I don't picture you as doing that, but, but maybe. No, you get, sometimes you just get so pissed. I mean, you know, obviously you, the, the challenge I think you really have is that, you know, when you get into your mid twenties, you know, we were all 17, 18, 19, and we were all, it's some of us matured faster and some of us were complete goofballs and, you know, it's just that you've got to put it back. Is it they're just kids, you know? And right. it and Keith coming out of you know, you know, out of Michigan. I mean, the first thing he wanted to do, he had this big paycheck, and he calls me up and he goes, "Hey, I'm going to buy this new Camaro," and I'm going, "Bones, 
<laughs> you know, are you going to get some bumper racks for it? Because you make a living riding yeah, yeah. motocross, dirt bikes. <laughs> what are you going to do to get your bike to the track? Right. And you're like, uh, I don't know. I never really thought of that. You know, and you're like, no, yeah. forget the Camaro. Get a pickup truck. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, yeah. and uh, <clears throat> you know, it's funny. And, and some guys learn from all that. You yeah. know, Bradshaws and Stamptons, I think, that, you know, when they were growing up through the Yamaha Amateur Program, Ricky was uh, – a little bit older than those guys, and there was good guys and Bones, and Ricky and Bones were on the same team at the same time. Yeah, you know, and, things, and things went Bradshaw one way. Yeah, yeah. And Stanton, they'd say, well, things are going pretty good for Johnson, and what's happening with Bones? Yeah. You know, what, what's, what's different? And I think that young riders today, especially through the amateur programs that are out there, look how mature those kids are. They're 12, yeah. 13 years old. They can talk on a microphone. They can understand how things are going. Yeah. Um, because it's it becomes more of a business. Yeah, absolutely. So, what was it? What was the climate like at Yamaha when you guys decided to not have works bikes anymore? Well, and you guys were basically going against these Hondas. I mean, what was that? Was it frustration? It was tough. I mean, that was actually the first year with I had with Bones. Um, yeah, eighty five. We went in 86, there, 86. and um, no, 85. you know, Ricky too. Ricky, I think Ricky Johnson. In Colorado, you know, broke a front wheel. Bob Oliver was his mechanic that mm-hmm. year, but that was on a production-based right. YZ250 yeah. with the one with the radiator and the front forks. But, you know, anyway, it was just that's what that's what we had, you right, know, and, right. and you had to deal the best you could with it. And there were some things that, you know, at that time, you know, who was it? Lachine, Hannah. Right. Ricky, all those guys went over to the Red Camp, you know, yeah. and and I think it, there was a point there was that if you were ever going to win a championship, you had to go. If you, you this is your best opportunity, you know, right, and right. they proved it, you know, and and then it, it's kind of you know yeah. it goes in cycles and it, it kind of goes around and and you know Bailey was there and O'Mara was there. I mean, they had a pretty damn strong strong program and hrc was pretty heavily involved because i think they saw the value in the market in the united states yeah as a mechanic you know you 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 prepare this bike the best way you can and riders haven't changed they're going to take excuses if they're there most guys will and so they look at across the pits of the red bike and go what's up with that slicer and you go hmm i don't know like it'd be hard as a mechanic i think back then yeah it i mean it is i mean the hardest the toughest thing i think that a, a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, this year in Supercross, it is such a unique season, but years when Jeremy or Ricky, you know, or, or James or whoever it was have dominated, you know, they, they think, oh, that is such a, everything's special, but, you know, really the <laughs> amount of work, at least my opinion is that the amount of work that everyone that's on that starting line for meeting for the main event <laughs> is, is really putting in the same amount of work. Sometimes when you're, when you're losing, you're actually working harder to try to catch up. Yeah. You know, and the, the hardest thing is that when the season starts, if you're not in shape and your bikes are not competitive, right. the way the Supercross season is, it's pretty damn hard to play catch up. You know, and get yourself back into the hunt of something. Uh, back to Bones, did did you did you know like you know his off track stuff and he got caught up in kind of some bad stuff and. It's part, kind of common knowledge, and I've talked to Keith about it myself. Did you know any of that was going on? Or were you, you know? Not really. I no. mean, I don't know what I was maybe blind to, but, you know, he'd stay at my house quite a bit, and right. I'd come home from work, and then I'd try to, we'd go and run and train and do all the things that we needed to do. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that he was later on, I think that the, the latter part of the second year I was with him, he started to kind of get involved with some of the wrong people there. Right. He, the following year, I got changed. I basically went to Kenny and said, I, I, you know, you need to really get rid of me because yeah. I can't. I can't do anything with this Keith, guy. I can't make Keith produce. And I've tried everything. I've talked to his parents and everywhere. And, right. you know, even Keith and I talked about it. And sometimes change is good. You know, the, right. the chemistry between writer and mechanic are so, were so important back in those days. And, you know, they usually at that point, the, the writer, if it was successful, even today, they stay together because it all, it, it works. Right. And uh, Yamaha decided they wanted to keep Keith because they felt that, you know, through he was so successful in his amateur career and wanted mm-hmm. to give him a, an opportunity. They put uh, Steam, um, sorry, Pete Steinbrecher was with Bones for his last year at Yamaha. 87. Uh, 87, yeah, yeah, because, or 86. <laughs> so then I got, I got then teamed up with Jeff Leask oh, yeah. that year. Right. Yeah, 87. And, uh, right. 87. How, You're more of the historian than I am in all these. How'd you so. like working for Lee? He did pretty good actually that year. Jeff was okay. Jeff was a <laughs> was a good guy. The only thing that I, I, you know, I didn't like to hear early in the year was that he had told me one time that in the year before he had broke his jaw. Right. So I think that you know injury was still in the back of his mind. But we were talking about do or die, and you know last lap got to let it hang out and and he was more he he had decided he'd be more content to take second than to risk you know crashing which in some <laughs> sense to win a championship is the smart way to go right 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 uh it, it was just that you know he was a, a methodical rider and you know r125 probably wasn't the wasn't the best bike out there at that time but right. um uh, you know, Jeff certainly worked hard. He he did, and you know, and uh, he went on and did some stuff with uh, with Honda and and mm-hmm. GPS and did good there. But uh, you know, it was an experience. And if it's mm-hmm. if it's any consola- if it's any consolation to you, Steinbrecher didn't turn around Bones' career either. <laughs> no, but I'm sure Pete tried. I, I yeah. guarantee it. And I know Pete, and I, again, I, I really I, I I speak to Keith every once in a while. I mean, yeah. I you know, it's one of those things you just wish you could have. Got the light to click on, and, yeah. and Hannah was probably one of the best guys. He would, you know, he just said, "Hey, he'd tell those guys, you know, you work your ass off for five years, you can go play and do everything you want." Yeah. But then you get a guy like Bob, you know, look at how many years he's retired. He's still just so focused and so competitive. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's in his blood. What's and, it, uh, What's it like being around Hannah back then? Did he really live it the way he was in the media? I mean, was that the way he was? Well, actually, like I say, we would really almost see each other just on, on weekends. Yeah, you know, yeah, him and yeah. Keith had such a good dynamic and a good program going. Right. And, uh, you know, Bob kind of looked at it, he's like, yeah, you know, we're all riding. Well, I'm not, I can't say this for sure, but I think that what some, sometimes happens, yeah, we're all riding yellow bikes, but when that gate drops, I have no friends. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I am, you know, and I mean, just the way Bob was, and, yeah. and Bob love to try to jack with the competition you know he'd right. go up and just tell me to kick your ass today <laughs> oh okay like, oh, you know you right. you try to tell but you would try to convince bones to walk up to somebody and say that <laughs> and you know it just if it ever came out it wasn't going to come out yeah. where you're going to go oh, oh i'm yeah i'm yeah. in trouble bones is in the house tonight <laughs> i did see keith at indy this year just uh, a few months back so, oh, you did? Yeah, said hi to him, talked to him for a little bit. So, yeah, um, um, yeah, no, he's a good, he's a good kid, and uh, like I say, he's uh, it, 
he was just a, a, a victim of yeah. bad outside fluence, you know? Yeah, well, he's not the first, and he won't be the last. There's no doubt about no. it. Um, and and that goes not only in our – that's in every sport. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So the least, least thing went all right, but the next year, Eben, you got Mickey Diamond. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, – I was really um, excited to get Mickey, but yeah. you know, Mickey has some luggage with him. I mean, it, it, some of it's good luggage, some of it's a lot of it is really entertaining luggage, and uh, and some of the people that he surrounds himself with and, and right. animals that he has is just crazy. But um, when he came to Yamaha, though, he was on the upswing. I mean, it was a big deal. He was number six, oh, it was and big you know, because. Yeah. Uh, here, again, it coming back. He's coming from the the red company, and yeah. um, where at that point they kind of just, you know, they got what they not they needed out of Diamond, and they were kind of done with them. Right. And um, you know, or or they or they were, you know, they they saw the some of the challenges that we were faced with with Mickey. But you know, when the first time we went out to De Anza, the Supercross track, he did things on that Yamaha motorcycle that no one. <laughs> said was possible really yeah and, and we were going wow and yeah he would he you know really was one of the first guys that i saw doing you know like kind of freestyle right. jumping things where you'd look at something and with big big areas of you know no landing right. area and he would just go do something and the first time he would he would make it work and you would we'd sit there and just go wow that's that's amazing you know yeah. and I uh, I just did I just did one I just did this thing with interviewed him um, about the cover of MXA that he was on with red number sixes that you'd put on probably and uh, red on white backgrounds I don't know what the deal oh. is there slicer but he uh, he talked to me about the free riding thing he said all you guys would look at him like he was crazy because he'd be like yeah. up up in the hills and <laughs> you guys are like what well, do you get done doing? we would get done trail we would get done doing all our motos and stuff out yeah. or you know out of Anza, and then I'd get uh, like a backup bike, and we'd go ride the hills of De Anza. Yeah, and you know he just he just say, hey stop, watch this, you know, and you're just looking at it, and you're going, wow, you know, it yeah. was amazing. And he certainly had a lot of talent, and in the first part of that year Supercross, I mean, he was he, he was got, good. He got know, second he was, at Anaheim. Was, yeah, yeah, and I got second at Anaheim, and uh, you know things were looking good. Hey, what? Um, and then he got hurt, and then kind of. Never recovered, I guess. Again, um, yeah, he got he got hurt, and then he, you know, he got a, a, you know, he decided he moved out to the desert, and and then he got himself a pet alligator, and you know, <laughs> and it just started to just go away. You know, I mean, we're at Mount Morris one week, and he comes in, and we struggled the week before, and right. he always told me about his pet alligator, and he uh, came in, he's got this bandage on. And by this time, McCarty's now the the Team kind of the head of our racing right. part, right? And and Keith's like, you know, he's a hardcore guy, and you know, he's like used to Hannah just right. being tough as nails, you know. And <laughs> and Mickey comes in with this bandage on his hand, and I'm going, what happened? He's like, well, my alligator, I was putting him away in his cage, and he, you know, he, he got me. And I'm going, Mickey, take that bandage off. We do not need to. Like yep. let anyone know that your pet alligator bit your hand. You know, <laughs> we just gotta you gotta live with it. And yeah. uh, so, but he, he would come up with he had stories on stuff and just the funniest guy. Sometimes we did a couple road trips from you know when races were close to each other. Right. We would just stay out on the road for a week and yeah, just funny. Just, and and, you know. uh, and what 
and you were the one I under, from what I understand in talking to you, those number sixes were, were your idea on his bike. Yeah, well, actually, I'm uh, I was pretty I'm pretty pumped to see all the money that other people have made off big fat numbers. Yeah, I, I know. Mean, I, so I made one for bones. Yeah, you did. The, the number, number nine. nine. Oh, that nine took up the whole front number plate. It was sweet. Yeah, and then uh, Mickey, we did sixes, and it, the whole thing was back then again. Is that now everyone, all everyone on the same team runs those same numbers, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. Well, back there we were. You know, you'd get your box in, and you could put the stickers on your back fender, however you wanted, just so they were all on there. And yeah. the front, you know, you did what you wanted, but you still represented the company and the sponsors, but yeah. a little bit different than today. Yeah. So I always could at the point where it's like I want to be able to see in the first corner where my guy is. So it's like they used to have single digit, but it would make that real small six inch single digit. You couldn't even see it. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you have this big of a, a you know a billboard, I want to make a number that can be seen. So I started, I made the number nine for Bones and a number six for Mickey, and I forget what other ones. But right. you know, it it certainly at first brought up some some issues a little bit. Some people liked it, some people didn't like it. But the bottom line is that you know if you're standing in the first corner someplace, you could certainly see where your guy was at. Yeah, you know? I, I think the number six is back as a kid. I was like, so I, those are the coolest things ever, Slicer. I love those. Yeah, yeah. I, we like I say, it didn't make a difference in the outcome of the race, but it sometimes <laughs> it was something for just uh, a little bit of um, discussion about. You know, did did you ever hang out with Motley Crue? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> we, we, well, Mickey had some. We, I'll tell you, the, the one of the most exciting, interesting was at the LA Super, the Super Bowl motocross, and uh, when Tommy Lee would come to the race, he was married to Heather Locklear at that time, right. and there was some other another band guys that were well known. And Mickey in the pits. I mean, this is again, it come back. Everyone would come back to, to your own box. Yeah, band, right? your van, right? And, and Mickey was really popular, and um, and you could imagine you got after the race, you got Tommy Lee and all his entourage. Right. You got Heather Locklear and 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 just you know her being her. Right. And then you got Tommy and and, and uh, I'm sorry, and then you got Mickey and, and Mickey being Mickey. You know, I mean, you couldn't even get into your around <laughs> your box, and it was just crazy. And uh, we went riding up there at, at, at Tommy's place a couple times, Mickey and I, and and. Uh, I built this, uh, his, his one drummer guy, his, his name was Spike. He, uh, brought Tommy's lead, Tommy's bike down and we took it out to pro circuit and we, we made it at that point. This was yeah. a few years ago. We ended up making it look like a, a Ricky Johnson replica bike. Oh yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah. just put, it was like an old, old Honda and we put up, we updated with different used, you know, plastic and stuff. And, right. He ended up giving me a symbol, and uh, yeah, oh. he was something. Nice. You got a symbol from Tommy Lee. Yeah, I do. That's one of many things hanging up in the garage. <laughs> you're like, hey, Mickey, Mickey, I know this is, I know this, you think you're here for, for, you know, a rock concert, but you really got to focus on the race. This is a big one tonight. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's the same thing. He had so many distractions. Right, right. And, you know, I mean, he would, he was, I always used to say, I mean, we used to have, imaginary foot pegs on the back of the swing arm just because, you know, uh, uh, Jim Morrison would sometimes be on the back riding with Mickey during the race. You're like, going, yeah. come on, Mickey, you're killing me. Right, right. But, well, you know, like yeah. I say, those are exciting, and 
interesting days for sure. I imagine McCarty having paid Diamond all this money probably was really pumped on this on this deal on the 88 89 seasons. Yeah, you know, again, it comes back to the what success and the work ethics that him and Bob enjoyed and 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 you know, right. and he obviously he's been around for a long time. And he's he's seen those things and it's frustrating. And then you had Damon that was just starting to come up and you know, he was just a young kid just all he was all he concerned about was going fast. Right. And um, Brock was still part of the program, and, and Brock was certainly a successful guy for Yamaha and, yeah. you know, all those things. Yeah, that's true. At one time, you had Bradshaw, Diamond, and Glover in 88. I can, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. three different personalities, no doubt oh, about it. Way, way different personalities. You yeah. know, Damon rode 125s, Mickey was 250, and Brock was the open guy. And then in Supercross that year, Damon rode – 125, I think East. Yeah, and, the, and Mickey and, and Mickey and Brock were the you know 250 guys. So, yeah, yeah. No, it would have been it would have been exciting to be part of it. Maybe not as Mickey Diamond's guy, but maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was exciting. Yeah, like I say, you never. It's a, a lot of similarities between Mickey and Bones because you just never knew which right. one was going to show up. And, yeah. You know, and there was times, man, they would just motivate the heck out of you because you're going, man, we're. We're in it, you know. There's a race, yeah. Or, you know, and we're in the hunt. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's Ward, Johnson, and, and Diamond, you know. Um, but, and then so, what would you try to do? Same kind of stuff with Diamond, friendship, mentor. Then get on his ass and chew his ass out and just try everything. Is that same thing? Yeah, like I say, we we did a lot of things. Like I, you know, pick him up every day and we drive out to De Anza and you know, and it, after after mm-hmm. after about a month of me having to wait. To wake him up in the morning, I'd you know I'd call him ahead before I left my house to go make sure he was up before he, you know I got there, and uh, <laughs> you know he just had a lot of distractions. But right. genuine, when you put him, he was he's a really you know genuine good guy, and yeah. you just it, it's just that's why we would stay on the road sometimes. You'd you'd get him away from everybody. Unfortunately, at that point, we didn't have cell phones or anything, or it would have been probably a complete disaster. (laughs) He was stuck with you, yeah, in a field in Pennsylvania somewhere. Yeah, you know, it's okay, we're going to go make this happen, you know, and and, uh, he'd work hard conditioning-wise and do different things, but just, you know, just, and at that time, everything was getting more and more. Actually, it's been getting more and more serious. You know, I mean, you look at the guys, the way they trained and their right. conditioning, and you know, it it became there was an opportunity to make good money and a lot of money, but right. there's only a few of those ever that ever get that, and there's only a few that ever really have that amount of discipline to take it to that next step. You know, I uh, I did one of these with Mickey, and uh, yeah, definitely a great guy, full of regrets though, for sure. Uh, Think I think he knows deep down that uh, you know he didn't give it his all. So yeah, well it, it's you know hindsight for every one of us out there. Right, right. Is uh, you know if you could only look back and make a, make a couple more changes, you know, you, same with you or same with me, we might have been factory racers. We wouldn't have to be going through all this right. stuff. I would. But, I would you know, yeah. Obviously, we didn't. I wouldn't have told you that I quit KTM at the end of one if I could do it again. <laughs> but we'll get to that. Um, yeah. 88-89, your Yamaha. Uh, 90, you go to Suzuki? Yeah, 90. Well, 89, Yamaha stopped all their racing activities other than Damon. Oh, really? Um, oh, I got I didn't transferred know that. into R&D with Ed Scheidler. Oh, okay. And uh, had, you know, really one of those things is, you look back, maybe it would have been a good thing to stay there. But on the other hand, 
right. still I still wanted to be involved with racing. Yep. So uh, I had spoken a few months earlier to Suzuki and expressed they had expressed an interest in me to come over there, and I expressed that I wasn't really that interested. And right. then at the end of the season, when it all changed, I got the opportunity to go, and, and Bob Hanna was over at, at at Suzuki at that time. And, you know, we had a group of riders, which is we called ourselves the Bad News Bears. Uh, it, it was an it was a group of you know it was a unique experience for one year. I think we had eight riders and we had enough budget probably to properly support two. <laughs> Just you had uh, Tishner, Stevenson, Cooper, Larry Ward, Larry Ward, Antonez, Antonez, Jer- Jeremy Buell. <laughs> I think right. That's why, and you know, and the yeah. and the and the mechanics that we had. Like I say, we called ourselves. Uh, I just said we're the bad news bears because <laughs> we're we, the bad. That's the bottom know, line. Yeah, uh, we would just come rolling in, and you know, and just. But amazingly, we we had an incredible year for Suzuki. You uh-huh. know, um, that's one of the things. At the end of that year, you get done, and you're going. You know, you would have never, the way it started the first few weeks, never predicted that the out, overall outcomes would have been what they were. Yeah. Um, some riders, you know, we came up a little short on just because of just really probably the lack of manpower to give all everyone the proper attention because they were, I think they were all genuine good racers. Right, um, right. But, you know, that year, uh, uh, Larry Ward won Suzuki's first Supercross in over ten years at Seattle, and yep. you know Guy Cooper battled with everybody at Atlanta, and I mean all of a sudden, and you talk about the Bad News Bears getting excited, and all together. of a sudden, you know, <laughs> we weren't even supposed to, we were just supposed to make the show, not be in the show, you know. Right, and right, right. It was, it was pretty cool. But again, it came back down to that there wasn't a whole bunch of infrastructure to get things done. And, right. Oh, you know, we forgot one other writer, Mike LaRocco oh, was yeah. on that group too. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so you had dads who number one priority is their sons and you had limited amount of parts. You know, you had Don Stevenson as Denny's mechanic <laughs> and, and Caesar or Mike LaRocco was, you know, Mike's mechanic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, overall, I mean, just, uh, and, and it, it, a year. What about for you as a going from a mechanic now to a team manager? How did you like it? Well, I probably, you know, it's to one point it was somewhat overwhelming <laughs> for the fact that I really I probably if I would have known what I was going to get myself into, I would have just stuck at Yamaha at and R&D. just worked on right. R&D R&D equipment. But, you know, you I think that, you know, you get in the sport because you, you love the sport, and if you're a mechanic now and have been in Yamaha for 10 years, you want to see where you make the next step. And that seemed like, that seemed like the door that was open. Mm-hmm. Um, they, had, they had been struggling, so it wasn't like they were on top, and if you failed, it was, you know, the finger could be yeah. pointed at you. They yeah. just, it was just a, a matter of they just been, weren't, weren't having the best years and a, a combination of a lot of things. And, mm-hmm. you know, they put all these new riders in there and they, they hired everybody. And I mean, we didn't even have box fans for everybody. And, you know, we came out of that. And, uh, like I say, we won super crosses and Cooper won the one twenty five outdoor national that year. Right. Denny won the, Denny won the East coast Supercross championship that year, buddy Antonez and Oh, Jimmy Gaddis was another guy we had on there. I mean, yeah, yeah. we had like a football team. It was, <laughs> you, you, 
uh, you know, we'd go to the corral for dinner. That was just, just like way too many people. Um, but it was it was it was interesting, you know. The bad news bears, even yellow too. Yellow, just like the bad uh, news bears. Yeah, we were, and uh, I, I can say it was it was something. And in some weeks, guys, I mean, some weeks were absolutely horrible. You know, every we just struggled, and but then some weeks we would do pretty good, and you know, and and internally there was things going on inside the, the you yeah. know. Issues going on that you just had to sometimes sit with your riders and say, you know, put all that stuff. Let's just go race. You know, it right, was, right. Mike Larocco, it was interesting. It was really interesting. Mike Larocco seniors throwing pit boards and Don Stevenson's breaking them. And yeah, I mean, you look just to take take away the, the the elements that the public saw out there with the riders. If you put yeah. Mike Larocco and Marshall Plum yeah. and and Wyatt Seals and Oh, you know, who was Wyatt working uh, for? Steve Tassinari. You know, Wyatt was Jeremy Buell's mechanic. Oh, okay, and, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, God. I mean, the guys that I had, you know, and, and the, it was the same thing. Is that Their priority was their guy. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, Ray Tetherton. You know, he was Jimmy Gaddis's mechanic. And Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com Racer X podcast show. It's that time. Time for a commercial. Thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com podcast show. Please don't forget that BTO is the world leader in aftermarket motocross parts for the bike-car body. You'll find deals like a Shoei VFXW helmet for $309.99, 45% off, or Smith Piston goggles for $32.99, 65% off. Your order can be shipped at anywhere in the USA for free. Or if you're not in the USA, we ship worldwide. Check it out at BTOsports.com. Racing since 1970, O'Neill is the original American MX company supplying fine apparel, protection, and accessories for over four decades. O'Neill is proud to support top racers worldwide, including the Moto Concepts Yamaha Racing Team in the U.S. Supercross and Outdoor National Series. In 2010, O'Neill worked with top racing professionals, including Grant Langston, Tim Ferry, and Ricky Dietrich, in developing its all-new 2011 line. O'Neill's hardware line is the toughest money can buy and has been critically acclaimed for durability, fit, form, and function by Motocross Action Magazine. Hardware pants and jerseys are designed to function while putting you ahead of the pack in fast-forward fashion. When it's time to gear up, check out O'Neill.com or an authorized O'Neill dealer near you. Yeah, it was... (laughs) It was interesting for so, sure, and uh, then our test track was up in up at uh, Sunrise, is Hesperia, yep, right? So that's yep. <laughs> you know that's a two-hour drive, and half the time you'd go up there to test Supercross. It's either windy, snowing, or yep. you know raining. Right, right, right. Yeah. And you're trying to come back and convince you know Suzuki that you kind of really need a test facility somewhat down closer and where the wind's not going to blow all the right. time and it's not going to be snowing and they're like no this is what we got you know yeah this is it okay um and uh, my boss i had there his name was tosh he was the guy was a uh, you know japanese guy just a character and just tough as nails he, he really was and um you know, he was there, and, and my go-to ally was always Bob Hanna, and, and Mark Blackwell was there. And, oh, yeah. And, so yeah, Hanna. And, and so every time when I would hit a dead end and when I would just be ready to pull my hair out, I'd finally have to go out and reach out to Bob or, or Mark Blackwell and, and plead my case that, you know, 
what we needed and see if we could get some help on it. So oh, I didn't know Hannah had – I thought he was just kind of developing bikes for them at that point, but he was actually – he could get stuff done. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. we did. We, I mean, a real quick story on that. We were uh, – I asked every rider beginning of the year what they liked, what they didn't like, favorite tracks, first track, and Cooper. Cooper's like, I hate ruts. I mean, guy would be gone. I hate ruts. I'll ride every day, you know. And he, his, you know, in Stillwater, guy, right. you know, he he was a crazy man at that point too with right. the stuff he was doing. But he said, I don't like ruts. So anyway, we were uh, so well. We we need to go ride ruts. So we decided to go race the the Unadill. They had the 250 Grand Prix back yeah. in July, but the very last race of the season was at Unadilla that year. Uh-huh. So I told everybody, it's like, hey, you know, championships come down to sometimes the very last race. Yeah. So we need to do everything we can to get ready to go race, you know, the last race. So we stayed after after you, after Unadilla. They all raced the 125 support class. I think Laraco and some of the guys raced the 250 GP. Yep. But the day after, all the riders rode, you know, and Buddy Antonis was just a young kid at that time, and he really wasn't a big mud rider. He was a California kid, and, mm-hmm. and Cooper didn't like ruts, and, you know, and everyone had a reason why they didn't want to go out and ride, and it had rained. Oh, yeah. And, Han- and Hannah stayed the day after, and Hannah was like the first one that got out there. And, you know, if it wasn't for Bob getting out there, they probably all would have just said, oh, it's, <laughs> conditions aren't good enough. We'll just stay. You know, yeah. we don't want to r- ruin equipment or something yeah but those guys got out there and bob you know rode with those guys all day and you know how good bob was at unadil right, in, in right. those conditions i mean he i think you know it was one of those experiences and moments that you see it's like and these guys have really they they got on it you know it's yeah. like all of a sudden they kind of figured this out that they're really good riders and they can ride ruts and they can do all this right, stuff right and, right wow and uh yeah, it was, it was it was one of those things. You left that and you came home. You're going, God, you feel good about what you just did, you know, what you organized, and and you know, no idea of what the payback or the dividends would be. Right. But Months very later, last race of yeah. the season, you know, Guy Cooper wins the championship by one point over Kradowski, mm-hmm. and uh, and that last race was at Unadilla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're cool. Right, exactly. I did one of these with Cooper, and he was talking about that that race and yeah. stuff. Uh, although the, I do remember looking in the magazines, the USGP didn't go well. Everybody, Larocco DNF'd, and I don't remember something else happened to your other guy there. Oh, we had bad gas. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. Um, so one and done at Suzuki. What? What? You went to Honda after that. What? Uh, how come? What, what was up with that? Well, actually, I really liked what we accomplished at Suzuki. Right. Yeah, you won but, a title. Uh, yeah, well, we won two titles actually. Right. Yeah. But um, at the end of the year, there was a few things that I had expressed when I went in there that once, if we proved that we could be competitive and you know and be in the show and not just part of the show, that there was a few things that I'd like to see us to do. And you know, near the end of the year, uh, Stanton and I and Ricky, you know, Stanton was over at at Honda now, and um, we were talking. And at that point, that was when Brian Lewis was going to be switching and going back over to, was going to go to Yamaha and be right. with Bradshaw. Right. And so, Ricky, at the end of the year, asked me if I wanted to be his mechanic again. Mm-hmm. And it never really came about. Is that I was, it really came down to is that it didn't seem like I was going to get make any headway with Suzuki. It was going to be the same, and I want you know same challenges that we had the year before. Right. And, you know, I, at that point, wasn't really 
ready to do that again. And the opportunity came up to go work at American Honda, which everything you've led up to that point, you see where Honda's racing budgets, racing programs, racing efforts right. are are you know, bar none, and everyone, you know, strives that they're ever going to race or be on something, want to be on the red bikes. Mm-hmm. It's like Ricky Johnson, who was Ricky Johnson, was who he was. You know, he yeah. had been was trying to come back from his wrist injury. Uh, came out and asked me if I wanted to be his mechanic. And, you know, I went to Suzuki and, and kind of said, hey, I'm thinking about this is what I may do. And they're like, well, if that's what you want to do, go ahead. Oh, so wow. it's like, okay, yeah. we, we shook hands and, you know, moved on and, and I, and I got the chance to work with Ricky again, and you know that we did a, a bunch of races in Europe, and and uh, he was trying to get himself back in line, and I, you know, he was working hard. He was just, he just had limitations with his wrist. It was, right. you know, it was just the fact was the thing wasn't working properly. Yeah, yeah, and it was his throttle hand too, right? Right. Yeah, one. exactly. Yeah. Right. It. Uh, we were at a uh, how he ended up retiring. We were at San Diego on press day, mm-hmm. and they had this big set of whoops, and obviously Ricky's from San Diego, and he wants to do well. And yeah. Press day goes and just goes through the, goes off this triple and then through the whoops and doesn't ever make the left-hand corner, just yards himself up on oh. the bike and everything. Onto the concrete, like over the berm onto the concrete? or Yeah, no, this is through the whoops. I mean, this was press day, so not everything was yeah. set up, right? right, right. And, but it just goes, like, you know, basically into those side of the stadium there oh. and crashes and you know fortunately it doesn't hurt himself but it just bangs him up and then he comes over to me and he's like hey you know my throttle stuck yeah and i'm going wow i says that's i go don't know how that could be i mean you've been riding for 15 minutes right right session you just rode it back but you know what whatever it is we'll go and we myself and some of the other guys i think skip norfolk and stuff and danny bentley was there and we took everything apart and tried to find the problem, what it was, and, you know, really couldn't find out anything. And then it's got that thing that really makes you nervous because you don't know if it's yeah, like you the, didn't find you know, it. the toy. Is it going to happen again? And and I think that one of the biggest fears, that, you know, as a mechanic you have is that you're right, something fails that you, you weren't, um, you know, you didn't really do your due diligence and, and something fails and you got your guy hurt, and that's not, you know, something you don't ever want to happen right. for anybody. For anybody, but um, <clears throat> so anyway, we did all that, and, and uh, we went to a race in Japan, and then we came back, and we were on our we were driving on our we were on our way driving to Atlanta, which was the next AMA round that year. You went to a race Ricky. in Japan in the middle of the Supercross season. <laughs> but yeah, we went to wow. well, it was like Anaheim, the the West Coast tours, and then boom, we went to a race in Japan. Wow! And then we came back, and then we went to Anaheim, or we went to Atlanta. Wow. And I'm uh, John. I'm going to Atlanta, and I get to the hotel, and, and I get a call from Ricky, and it's like, hey, I got good news and bad news. The good news is you're right. The throttle didn't stick. The bad news is it's my wrist is locking. Yeah. And uh, he found out that in a certain position, mm-hmm. his wrist would lock, and the only way he could get it back would he have to take his hand off the bar, and and you know, and then re-rotate it. Right. Right. Wow. And uh, we were like, you know, I was like, Ricky, you just you know, you've already accomplished way too much. The last thing you want to do is have yourself injured right. and you can't, and he had just gotten married with Stephanie and, you know, it's like, Hey, just, you know, enjoy your life and, and, you know, right. forget about this racing right now. And yeah. So anyway, we did that. And, and so that point, 
Ricky retired, and then I um, found myself as a contract to American Honda, and basically found myself at the end of the year I was going to be out of work. Yeah. So I started to really just kind of, uh, you know, kind of just see what I could do. And we didn't really have a testing group for the motocross side. And at that point, there was Jeremy and um, John Michelle Bill and Jeff Stanton. And so I kind of said, hey, you know, I can build these guys practice bikes if we're yeah. going to go testing. I just really to do something you to create my jo- You created a job for yourself. Well, yeah, exactly. And the other part about it is that the road, the way Honda set up the road racing is right across the alley there in the right. hall. And uh, so they really didn't have anybody doing suspension. So I kind of said, hey, you know, I can do some suspension stuff. <laughs> so that year I ended up doing, uh, I went to Loretta Lenz's myself and Eric Krippa for Honda. And then I did uh, most like the testing and stuff like that. And Dave Arnold and Roger were there and, you know, right. they spearheaded all the direction, and, and obviously HRC was heavily involved, but just getting stuff ready to go um, testing just as guys do today. I did that. One thing, uh, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, though, was I did one of these with Dave Arnold, and he said one of the reasons they wanted you there was because things had gotten so tense between Bentley and, uh, and Cliff White over Bale, Stanton, Everybody was after each other as the mechanics. You know, nobody kind of shared. Nobody talked, and you were the guy that broke the ice. Is that true? Well, I I don't know if I was the guy that broke the ice. I probably certainly brought some humor to this yeah, program. That's what they said. Um, that's what Dave they said. They were to me just you know it's like you got to work, but you got to have fun. If you don't enjoy what you do, then it just becomes work. Yeah. And um, we all understand our responsibilities and what we need to achieve, but. You can have a good time doing it. And, you know, it's interesting. I was at the uh, – there wasn't a lot of communication at first between Cliff and, and Danny and I knew each other because we were – when we were on box fans, I would be leading the charge sometimes from point A to point B. And yeah. uh, Skip and I got along really well. And, you know, later on Pete Steinbrecher came over with, with Doug Henry, and, and we knew each other really well. But, you know, it was just a matter of just trying to say, hey, you guys, let's – you know, we've got a damn good program here. And, and first of all – when you have John Michelle Bale, you know, and you have um, Jeff Stanton, you know, and, and Jeremy McGrath, and all of a sudden, you know, you got three guys. And this was actually the year before the same thing. It was Ricky Stanton and Bale, right? You know, and it was from what I understand, it was just you know everyone's ready to cut their heads off, and it's like, <laughs> God, we got the best, you know. I mean, and I came in there and it's like, hey, you guys don't know how fortunate you are <laughs> I've been to, to have three guys racing for the front, you know. We've been, I've been with Bones where, you know, we're hoping to get a top seven or something, yeah. you know? I got Mickey Diamond, Bones, and an 18 Bad News Bears. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> and so, you know, and like I say, we we kind of just got through that. And, and you know, like I say, then Steve Lampson came on, and, and I was able to work with Steve there. You know, he came on originally just as a test rider, and then he raced the 500s the last year. And so anyway, I mean, uh, the Honda experience was, was certainly an experience. And, um, right, right. you know, they, the, the equipment, the, the support they get from Japan is tremendous. And, you know, the, the results have, had proven themselves for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think that, again, some of the riders who went to American Honda went there because they were going to get the equipment that was going to take to win. And yeah. it's changed now, obviously. Look at what we got this year in Supercross. Right, right. Well, four brands. I mean, that's 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 the best of all worlds. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any uh, weird Jean-Michel Bale stories? 
Uh, well, actually, I was really lucky. John Michelle Bale and I got along really well, and right. um, you know, I got to go with him to motocross stations in Australia. Okay. And I built and I built a couple bikes for him, and we went to France. Which, when you go, you know, when you go to France to Paris for a race with John Michelle Bale, I mean, <laughs> it's first yeah. class. Right. Right. And, uh, right. You know, I, I think there was a time there when about probably 15 of us were fortunate, like our riders were the, the guys to go to all the races in Europe. Right. And so every other week we were on a flight going, you know, across yeah. the Atlantic to Spain, to, to France, to Germany, wherever it may be. And, uh, I mean, our, those, those flights were certainly experiences because, I mean, whether we were playing cards or, or whatever we were doing to keep ourselves amused was certainly right. exciting. And, the first few rounds, the first few times that they had Bercy, it was just, it was amazing. The the amount of money and effort that they put in to the opening ceremonies and yeah. how they presented themselves. You know, the Americans were, they were the shit. I mean, they were, everyone wanted to beat the Americans, but they were so popular. Right. Jeff Ward and, and O'Mara and Bailey and Ricky, you know, Mickey, all these guys. And, and then all of a sudden, JMB is like the first guy to actually kind of, Challenge in Supercross. Yeah. Outdoor Nationals is a little bit different, but yeah. So uh, when we went to those races with JMB, really, really cool, really, yeah. really exciting, and you know, he's a uh, he's again one of those really versatile, amazing racers yeah. who got you know he loved he, he accomplished so much in the United States, but he got bored. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm you're you're leaving. You're you just won three titles, you know, and. Yeah, I think I'm going to go try road racing. Yeah. Yeah, that 92 oh. season, he really just kind of rode around, huh? Yeah, he he kind of got himself bored. You know, we sent him one year to Cooper's because he yeah. got bored, and I found out he liked riding trials bikes. So we organized a way in between the Oklahoma Supercross and Dallas, I think, that he went to Cooper's for a week. Mm-hmm. And and if you can imagine, you know, anybody who comes to Cooper's house to go ride, and Guy is going to show them yeah. the time of their life. Right, right. And, and at Cooper's house, it was in a, it was like Disney World for motorcycles. Right, just, yeah, just jumps every everywhere. kind of bike you could imagine, <laughs> every obstacle, anything you wanted to do, it was at Cooper's house. Yeah. So and, did, uh, did he like it? Him and Bale, they just had a great time. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I can imagine what it's like working with a guy like that at the time, just so good, you know, and then. You know, we all heard the stories about Stanton and him not liking each other, and Stanton was the country guy trying and working hard, and Bale was the guy that sort of aloof, you know. Um, you know, it just, it just would have been really cool times to work around those guys like you did back then. Well, you know, the interesting thing is that if you're anybody who's football fans, being a Steeler fan than I am, you know, you've got fullbacks and you've got halfbacks. And my version of those two is that they'll both – you know, get you five yards. Right. The full the fullback goes straight up the middle, five yards, pounds his way through, and the halfback runs fifteen yards to get five. Right. Stanton and Bale was like a fullback and a halfback. Yeah. Jeff was the workhorse. He got the job done. He pounded away. You know, wasn't always the prettiest, but mm-hmm. got it done. And then JMB looked flawless and effortless, and you know, and danced around and did the same thing. Yeah. yeah. They both won. The, they both did what they were supposed to do for who they worked for. And, uh, you know, they both came out of the industry, you know, 
really, really well respected and, and mm-hmm. well rewarded for the amount of work that they put in. Yeah, you know, I had I had them both on one of these. I had a bail bail on this thing when he was over here a couple of years ago, and I got Stanton on the phone, and both of those guys expressed how much they admired the other one. But uh, as a guy that was there at the time, um, do you think time heals all wounds? <laughs> Well, you know, I, I think it's the same thing. It's over anybody in competition. You always gonna look back at it and go, ah, I, I, "I had, I was one up on you," and that's between Bale and Stanton. But right. you know, the mechanics that you had there, like Danny Bentley, you know, and I got along really well. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and the other person you had looking in, coming up within the wings there was McGrath. Right. You know, right. and uh, here's Jeremy's first year coming in there. You know, and and you know, hot off being with Pro Circuit and, and certainly known to be the next up and coming right. guy. And you got these two guys, I mean, and you know, mentally I think that the the games they used to try to play on each other, you know, behind the scenes people didn't know about. Mm-hmm. But when you could would collectively go to a test and needed to try to do some things with you know, with H R C it was a little bit, you know, challenging at sometimes and the riding styles were so much different that right, what right work for JMB would wouldn't really, you know, wouldn't do justice for Jeff and vice versa. Right, right. Um I want to sma- smash forward here to uh you left Honda after 93 to go what'd you do after that? You worked for NCY, but that wasn't yeah, why well, you left Honda. I, worked, I had a um I left Honda at the end of 93 it was with Lamson and then uh really wasn't doing too much of anything and got a phone call from Matasevich. So right. Chicken calls up after he's uh, decides that he's going to go be a privateer and wants to go race Supercross. And <laughs> the, uh, I was like, "Okay, Chicken, you know, here you are. You're in the same mix of Bones, Mickey, yeah. Lachine, Chicken. You know, right, right. but Chicken was a. I mean, Chicken's a badass guy. I remember him coming up to Lampson one time and just, you know, I was trying to get Lampson to." be more aggressive and be mm-hmm. more forceful on the racetrack and not just roll over on these guys, you know? Right. And if you remember the races that Matasevich and Bradshaw had, I mean, yeah. there was there's no love between those guys right. at that point, but right. they weren't afraid to make contact or whatever it took, you know? I mean, that was, they were on a mission to win. Right. And so anyway, Chicken was, I think it was done with Kawasaki at that point. And um, Jim Herkman at, at uh NCY was going to help him out a little bit, and he called me and wanted me to do some stuff with him. And so we went out there, and I, and I went out to the first test. We went to the Yamaha Supercross track, and I was just thinking this is just going to be a complete joke because right. I really didn't look at Matasevich as being a knowledgeable racer. Right. And I was pleasantly really, really surprised because his feedback – his information and you know and and uh, the details that he gave you about what we were tr- doing or testing was really really accurate. Right. And it's like, all right, good, you know. And uh, you know, same thing. Chicken, I think, look looks back at some of this stuff and says, you know, if I could do it over, I would maybe do it a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes life's, you know, I think what happens is life gets too good and too easy for them, and they forget their roots of how they got to where they're being. Yeah, yeah. And some of them have so much. God-given natural ability right off the bat. They never really had to work for it, you know. Um, but anyway, so we did this. Uh, I'd fly in. I had about four or five key people out on the circuit that would be my, my kind of go-to guys. Mm-hmm. Each week I would uh, put selected parts in a bike, and then uh, we'd come home, and 
go to pro circuit and, and we'd get some suspension stuff done and uh, we'd do a little testing and then we'd box all that stuff up, go back, you know, and after the end of the race, different guys from different teams would give me their takeoff parts because I know that, you know, they would change this stuff out right, right. every race. I'd get a chain from this guy and I'd get a, a used clutch from this guy and I'd get this. And it was pretty, it was pretty cool because, you know, it, it came down. It's actually what it was is really humbling, Steve, because mm-hmm. you're going, wait a second, here you are. <laughs> yeah. You've had all these good things. You fly to the race, you know, you're in a nice hotel room, you know, you've got a, a factory bike, you got all the support, you got tires, tubes, you name it, everything at your fingertips. Now you go, and I got a gun case that worked as my loading ramp. Chicken was uh, was with one of his lovely wives. I'm not sure which which one it was. But she had three children, so they would the whole entourage would come. Yeah, we'd fly in, go get a budget rental van. I'd go pick up the bike. I'd have I'd carry with me the gun case with the suspension, an engine, and a toolbox. Jeez. And so yeah, was, no box and I'd go on the find road. the bike, and we'd go put that thing together. We'd ride press day, and then I'd go find a car wash that had lights, hopefully. Yeah. And then I would wash the bike and prep it for the next day. Uh, that was race day, right? Yeah, and then yeah. we'd go do the race out of a, you know, out of a, out of a van. And you know, Chicken was he was competitive. I mean, he was a top, probably I don't know, he probably five to eight yeah. place right in there. You Not know, a lot of hole shots too. Yeah, oh yeah, he well, he was so good on starts always. Didn't matter what, but that was the same thing. He just decided that he was going to be better than anybody else on the start and did what it did what he needed to do it. Right, you know, right. just like look at Doug Dubach. I mean, there's some guys that are yeah through their whole career have been really good on starts. But anyway, that was that was really it was humbling and at the same time it was really rewarding because it's like we're racing against all these factory guys. We're not beating them, but we're actually we're racing with yeah, them. You're with and them, yeah. On a on a shoestring budget, and you know, it was pretty cool. So anyway, I did that, and then uh, about halfway through this Supercross season, I think there was like two races left or something like that. I got a call from Mark Johnson at at Kawasaki, and they uh, asked me if I wanted to be if I'd come to work there at Team Green, mm-hmm. and uh, talked to Chicken about that. And obviously, this thing we were doing was. Wasn't wasn't really full time, so yeah. He's like, we decided that'd be a good thing to do. So went and did that, and that was uh, that was really really good. Yeah, did you did you enjoy it? You were there for um, eight years. Uh, yeah, eight nine years almost. Yeah, um, yeah, really did. Hardest, probably the toughest decision I ever made was leaving Kawasaki because I really liked it there, right. and I thought I was in a good position, and we were involved with so many so many segments of the of the motorcycle market right. uh, as far as with racing and, and, and customer service and everything else. And, you know, I was, I was uh, really fortunate. I mean, cause the team green was, was a powerhouse, you know, yeah, and Mark Johnson sure. and Bruce Sternstrom had been there before me. And, you know, they, they put all the groundwork in to, to really put together a, a, a program that, Shined over everybody else's. Yeah, and absolutely. So, the, the names that came up through the amateur ranks while you were there, some of the best. Yeah, we yeah. were. You know, I went took Kevin Wendon to his first race, and Larocco, and I'm not sorry, not Larocco, Nick Way, and Andrew Short, and, mm-hmm. and Ricky, and Baba, and you know, right, and right. Um, yeah, gosh, I can, you know, it's it's amazing as you get older, you start to lose your memory. But <laughs> I look back at some over the nine years 
of all the different racers that you were able to maybe, you know, be in, in touch with. And for that, a lot of that, most of it was with their parents, especially when you got a, you know, eight, nine year old or a 11, 12 year old. Most of the time you're talking to their parents about planning and things that you need to do and yep. getting them ready for the next event. And parents who, who are involved with amateur stuff. I mean, my hat goes off to those folks because they work a regular job. And then they got, you know, four motorcycles plus practice bikes to take care of. It's mm-hmm. crazy, um, you know. Give me, a, give me a racer who never made it big as a, as a pro, but you certainly thought they would have if you weren't guessing. Somebody under your wing or even on another manufacturer all those years that you were like, wow, this kid's something special. And then they just never worked out as pros for one reason or another. Oh, man. <clears throat> you can't put me on the spot like that. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's the same thing. Is it like – Team Green Kids is that, you know, you'd go to Loretta Lynn's and we'd have 14, 15 champions out of 20-some classes. And, you know, every right. one of those riders accomplished, they accomplished their objective and goal for that age category. You know right, what I mean? Right. That's a that's a, an experience that they may never enjoy again. I think one of the things I've always tried to do with those guys, uh, this is changing the subject a little bit, but it's something I learned from Doug Henry, is and Ricky Johnson. Ricky was big on this too. Was enjoying, enjoying the podium, enjoying victory because it may never come again. Right, right. And what we tried to do at Team Green is that once champions were, were won, and if they were on our brand, and if they were on a Kawasaki, is that we wanted them to know that as Kawasaki and as a Team Green rider, we were really proud of their accomplishment, and they should be as well. Right. And you know. They may race the 12 to 13 year old mod class and win it, and never go back to Loretta's again, or, or something happens. Yeah, who but knows, right? One rider that you know that I know that uh, that I really I had so much respect for that, and how hard he tried. And I know there was others, and I apologize if I don't mention, but it was Shane Bentley. Shane Bentley, yeah. Shane worked so hard, and uh, you know he did win a championship for Mitch, yep. and you know Mitch's programs. That's the standard out there for uh, for so many years. Mm-hmm. But Shane, I mean, he'd crash and something would happen. I mean, he'd be beat up or he had some intestinal problems and he'd just fight back, you know. And his yeah. his parents and so many of those riders out there, they'll never, they would never get to where they were without the support of their parents. Yeah, and the the parents have sacrificed an enormous amount for those kids and. You know, I remember, you know, you're talking to their parents and they're going, oh, we're we'll, going to be back, you know. Right. And, you know, it's and sometimes it's just, it's just, you know, it's heartbreaking because you see how much and how disappointed they are. But, you know, there can only be one winner. And yeah. you got to look at it that if you achieve self-achievement is, is sometimes just as, as important as, as being the best overall for that day. Right, right. Yeah, no, yeah, good, good points yeah, for sure. Um this is, and then we're at the point of the show where our career is sort of intersected. Um, I was at KTM 2000 and 2001, and you came on board as KTM team manager late in 01. And yeah, uh, oh, you were in that. You were in the factory down in El Cajon. I was. I was. And the uh, factory workshop. You took office maybe the <laughs> week before Steel City, where Langston blew apart his wheel um, and lost the championship, which was definitely not cool for KTM. And uh, and uh, then I left, but I tried to stay. I well, I was promised a job, and it fell through. And then I tried to go back, and 
you were like, well, you quit the first time. Why do we want you back? And uh, you had a good point. I really had no comeback for that. Um, but uh, talk about getting getting to be KTM team manager. Yeah, that was something that had been discussed for quite a long time. Oh, was it? Yeah. And I had uh, kept putting it off, putting it off, because I really didn't want to make a decision on it. Because I really, again, I liked, you liked what I did. It. Right. I liked what I did and the position I had at, at Kawasaki. It, the only thing I didn't like at Kawasaki was that it seemed like we're, we were so passive on our product line and we weren't being very aggressive in a competitive market. And so, you know, our you had to do a lot to make the, the KX125s work. And right. It could be done, but it was it was certainly a lot of work. And you know, for Team Green, not only were I was responsible for the you know the amateur motocross side, but we did off road. We had KX500 that was yeah the old, but certainly set the standard in Baja and desert and all that stuff. You know, and arena cross and all that other stuff. So it was nice being involved with a lot of stuff. But sometimes you get to the point where you think you're doing you're doing quantity and not quality. Right. And the KTM was certainly exciting. You know, speaking with Rod Bush, what their plans was and what they wanted to do, and, and Stephen Pierre and, and Kurt Nickel, and mm-hmm. they were on a roll in Europe, and they really wanted to come out and, and do some stuff in the United States. And so it's like a new challenge. This could be really exciting. And, right, right. you know, I got there, and quite honestly, as you know, you had, you know, decided you were going to move on. I kind of was at the point where it was like, maybe I made the wrong move. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Especially when I worked in, walked into the race shop at El Cajon. Right. And you come out of the structure that we had at, at Kawasaki or the race shop that you have at, at, at Honda and, and Yamaha, and you're going, wait a second, you want us to race? Yeah. You know, it almost brought me back to the Bad News Bears Suzuki camp, where it's like, how can we be on the same playing field and competitive when we don't have infrastructure? We don't have a dyno. I, we built that wall <laughs> in the office. Yeah. <laughs> and you got, you know. Yeah. It's hot, and anyway, yeah. so we, uh, you know, it's like, hey, I decided that this is where I was going to, I was wanting to do this, so we need to give it a good shot and mm-hmm. try to make it work, and, you know, fortunately, we were, um, we had a lot of good riders, had a lot of good technicians, you know, Austria was, was behind it, Rod Bush was 100% behind it, and, you know, they allowed us to build a whole race shop down there, which was a big plus, and we, you know, then the Supercross track, got all that stuff going and right. you know uh, we were able to actually put water on the track i mean we were making big big climbs i guess and um the first year there 125 was pretty good had some little couple mechanical instances you know problems with ping at arizona which wasn't really very good but right you know brock and billy lanovich was a new kid coming up and you know and the challenge that you'd have is it you need to have guys like Boniface and Rodriguez and Metcalf, all good racers in their own in their own entities of where they race, but really were pretty green to race in Supercross. And yeah. Stephen Pierre and, and you know they were like they expected results. And you're like, but you you're like I got I got an Australian, a Brazilian, or whatever Rodriguez was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're going. This is they've never even been on a Supercross track. You yeah. Know? And yep. So it was kind of hard, but um, you know we kind of plugged through there and. And uh, the, the outdoors did okay. You know, I mean, you you want to talk a guy you know really well is Brock Sellers. And yeah. if you've never had him on your show, you should because. Yeah, I need to. I need to get him he on. Has, <laughs> right. Yeah, Brock has stories that <laughs> can go a, on for He's a classic hours, character. Anyway, um, 
you know, you had a little bit of the best. I mean, Pingree was kind of, I think Ping was still had a lot of fight left in him, and I think some people thought that he didn't have fight left in him, and, and Rod Bush and Kurt Nickel and those guys, you know, they, they bet on him, and, and there was like, I mean, basically when I moved in, everybody was already in place. So I really didn't, they right. were in right. place, so I had to do the best I could with the guys we had. And yeah. for the most part, like I say, those guys were all, were all seasoned racers. Billy was a young kid coming up, so he was a little bit green, but still, you know, showed potential. And, um, well, the Langston, we Langston thing didn't work out in the 250 class. No, that was, well, actually, my very, I was at wrong timing when I came to KTN yeah, there. The, their bike was, was not. The last race when they had the mechanical problem with Grant. I know. <laughs> but uh, the next year, right very near the end, you know, I mean, they decided that they wanted to go race 250. Yeah. And we were, we're, we weren't really fully, I guess, we didn't really have six bullets in our guns to race the 125 class. Yeah, never and mind. I thought there was, I thought there was, we made progress, but we still had a lot of work to do. But it was like, hey, we, you need to go order a semi, and we're going to race 250 class on a yeah. brand new bike. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you know, you have a choice. Either you agree or you you go someplace else. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So anyway, we uh, and the same thing. Grant Grant's a great rider. He's proved that he's capable of winning. Had proved that he could win championships, but wasn't really seasoned Supercross guy. So. Uh, and the second year we were doing that, if you remember, that's when Yamaha introduced her 250. That can certainly change, you know, the atmosphere in Supercross is what we see today. Everybody else had 125s, and they it was a challenge to do every obstacle on the track. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you were on a 250F, it was relatively easy, you know. Right. So it, it 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 really changed a lot, and obviously there are no two strokes out there today anymore, but. Um, so anyway, uh, my plan was to keep Grant at 125 again and, you know, make progress and, and present us a, a solid package and do our homework where we're going to be good throughout the whole year, 125, and then maybe go into the 250 class. But then right. that all changed when management decided that they wanted us to reach 250s. And, you know, at that point I had gone to Mammoth uh, and – saw Jeremy up there and Jeremy was a little, a little, I guess, missed or frustrated a little bit that, you know, things right. weren't coming along as he had hoped they were going to come along at Yamaha. Right. And, uh, you know, I was telling him about this new bike and things and he was like, Hey, there's an interest. I might, you know, something maybe I'd be interested to do. Right. right. So I, I kind of looked at it as like KTM is that we're probably not going to win the championship, but if we could put Jeremy McGrath, who at that time is, probably the most well-known, most liked person out there, him, right. you know, Carmichael and Pastrana. So why don't we put Jeremy on a, on a KTM, even if he gets top five, it'll be a plus, right? Yeah, because right. at that point, Grant and Rodriguez weren't, I, I didn't think that they were ready for mm-hmm. prime time 250 class, let right. alone was the bike had potential for sure, or I don't think Jeremy would have decided to make the switch. Right. But, in the off season, you know, unfortunate things happen, and Jeremy had a couple injuries, mm-hmm. and you know, then it just kind of went downhill from that. Jeremy ended up retiring. Yeah, it was and, it uh, was a disaster, huh, Slicer? Like, I mean, it it you couldn't even in your in your worst possible scenario in your mind, it wouldn't have gone this bad, right? Yeah. Well, picture this: you're on uh, Christmas Christmas Eve. Yeah. 
I get a phone call, and it's MC. Hey, MC, how you doing? Hey, Slice, how's it going? Hey, just called to wish you a happy holidays, da-da-da. And, oh, yeah, by the way, I've been thinking, and I'm going to retire. I'm <laughs> done racing. You know, you're going, oh, MC, this is not the Christmas gift I was looking no. for. You know, I, <laughs> so it's like, all right, let me now, i got to call Austria and tell them that the guy that I kind of <clears throat> campaigned for, yeah. Uh, has decided that he just doesn't want to race anymore. Right. And so he's retired. And you're going, That's it. And that didn't go over that didn't go over very well at all. No. And no. Uh, and then we go to the very first but we plugged through, you know, they put together a deal for Jeremy to go and, and do the the parade lap on his KTM yeah. and yep. Bud Light was still involved and you know, so it was what it was. Yeah. And then um yeah. so then to make matters worse we go to the first first Anaheim race and in the whoops, you know, as both Grant's bikes and Rodriguez's bikes are DNF with some mechanical problems. And, you know, it just got, it just got worse and worse. Yeah. And then, uh, by the third, I think the fourth, right before San Francisco, I was back in Ohio and there was a manager's meeting back there and they decided that they were going to take me out of the supercross kind of the realm of being overseeing supercross stuff and moved me into all the off-road stuff and yep. then they brought in larry brooks to take care of that and um Did, were the you, only were you pissed oh uh, pretty much i was yeah. really pissed for the fact that i really didn't think i got a fair shot considering yeah. that i'd already kind of told them ahead of time what was going to happen but that's beside the point i right. mean they're 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 the managers and they can decide to do what they want to do I mean, the only thing that was frustrating about it is I, I had signed on, you know, Ryan Hughes that year, and uh, and same thing. Ryan was wanting to come back, and he was a, just a bull, and, and you know, he really wanted to work hard. And, and we were working with John Dowd, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, I didn't want to lose. I didn't want to see those guys go away, and I was just, yeah, I was really kind of pissed, and I was hurt. It was like, yeah, you know give me a chance, but anyway, it's their call and their decision. Fortunately, they just didn't, you know, shit can me and throw me out. They true, uh, moved true. me over and you know, gave me a great opportunity. A lot, uh, in one sense, a lot less pressure because they allowed me to kind of oversee everything else in racing, which was GNCC and work series and in national enduros and supermoto and all that stuff. So, another one opens up and yeah. we had, uh, we, we introduced a lot of different things that really came out of Supercross, you know, into the GNCC. So I think that we helped raise the bar and GNCC. And that year, I think we won three or four championships, you know, and, and then we did the Supermoto stuff, and that worked out. You know, that was pretty cool. And so I can say all those things, they all kind of work out for a reason. But, you know, it's like you still wish you just had that one, that chance to right. to show to show that you had something in place and, you you know, you had a plan for Supercross because it, I think it could have worked out. It just um, unfortunately didn't. And, you know, you think, today you, it's what it is. Sorry to interrupt you. Do you think they, ho- they held the McGrath thing against you? Like was that your – was that the blow? Like you went to bat for him. Obviously they wrote him a big check. <laughs> Uh, and, and it wasn't your fault, but do you think that's what it was? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know how it all came down. Like right. I say, for the most part, most of the riders that was there, I mean, the 125 guys, I thought that I got along with and I treated mm-hmm. pretty fairly. And 
the mechanics and stuff, we were there. And, and some of the guys that were maybe there before I got in might have been, they may have felt that they should have been in a position. I really don't know. Right, it, right. it really doesn't matter. You yeah. know, it's what it is, and it's it's and water then, over the bridge. Of course, you know? later, later, at the time, yeah. you're going, you're, you know, that's wrong, but yeah. it's 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 the right that senior you know, management has, and yeah. they can do, they're writing the checks, they can do what they want. Yeah, we all have bosses, right? Or most of us do anyways. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, Davey Coombs could call me tomorrow and be like, you're done. So, who knows? Um, uh, well, later on, I mean, Rhino and Langston went battle to battle and, and won a national title for KTM, and John Dowd was strong, you know, yeah. it, on, on the 450. So John was really good. I mean, John, at 250 at Southwick, I mean, he was John Dowd is John Dowd and, and Treadwall and, and Doug Henry, you know, I mean, and right, JoJo right. Keller, those guys were the guys at Southwick. And, and Doug, I mean, and, and you know, Dowd, he's still good there today, but he certainly proved that a KTM could, yeah. you know, run up front. Could kind of be, could run the, the pace, you know, and, and so did Rhino. And, you know, unfortunately, I think for Grant, he just had a little bit, you know, he, had, he, he, had uh, coming into it, ever they had plans for Grant, and it was it was a, probably the best thing for Grant when he went to Mitch because right. he Mitch treated him like, hey, this is a new road, this is how it is, this is how we work. It's yeah. nothing that's preconceived out of Austria or wherever. This is it. Yeah, there, there was a sense of I like Langston, good guys. Talked to him today, but there was a sense. I mean, I was on the team the first year uh, that he was there, and then you know into the second year. Uh, there was a sense of entitlement from Grant that KTM is his team, you know, and he sort of called shots. And right. I think it was good that Mitch broke him down, let's say, a little bit. Well, that was the case. I mean, I would um, certainly I would make some probably maybe some you know not real uh, positive decisions or calls on things, trying to keep everything equal right, the beginning right. of the season. I think if you have five riders and none of them have a championship, they all better have the same equipment and, and be treated fairly. Yeah. And, um, you know, I would make some calls and, and, you know, later on that night, actually the next morning or that same day, I would get a call from Austria. Right. And, you know, you're going, well, oh, man, this travels pretty fast, you know, <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. either you're going to allow me to, to kind of orchestrate this program. Yep. Or you guys can run it, and you, you really don't need me, yeah. you know. And I think that in the past, you know, when you were there and stuff, it was mainly run out of Austria. The decisions and things that happened, yep. oh, we need to have this and pipes and this and that, all came out of it. And yeah. you're, you know, you're going. They have a lot of success in outdoor nationals, you know, in a lot of different or other arenas, but yeah. Supercross is relatively new for them. Right. So let's utilize the resources and the knowledge and the experience to try to get us up to a competitive, yeah. to be on the same playing field with the guys we're racing against. Mm -hmm. And then we'll kind of go there, you know, but, yeah. and again, it's, you live, you live and learn, you know, and you just kind of move on and, and, you know, uh, there's no need to really just be, you know, just so pissed about it. But certainly right. at the time I was not a real happy camper. Yeah. And, you know, and come Larry, Larry Brooks left the team. They started, Austria started calling the shots again with him, and he was like, "If I'm not gonna call it, you don't need me." And and he left, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Same idea down the road when he replaced you. So it's funny how that works out. But uh, um, hey, man, I, I I thank you for doing this. I kept you kept you well 
longer than I said I would. And uh, I feel like we've got your your career, your your incredible career, really covered um, to your current job. Well, I, I, again, I'm really happy, and I'm really fortunate, Steve, to be able to, to sh- you know, to talk to you for an hour and a half about all the different things I did, and, yeah. and you know, it, it's just, I don't know, it's like I say, we're so, you come out when I was a, a young kid out of Pennsylvania, I never thought, I would have right. never dreamed I would have been able to <laughs> travel the world and, and to right. work with so many talented athletes, you know, and we watch it on TV, and, and you look at it, and you're going, you know, I, I go to Supercross, and my son will be there, and he'll go, wasn't that one of your team green kids, and don't you know that guy, right, and don't right. you know this guy, you know, and it's refreshing that you you know all these guys, and you can walk up to them and shake their hand, and, and you know, and see them that they've progressed, and they're, and they're where they're at now, it's yeah. it's really rewarding, you know, and, and it's, you don't know if you ever really, you might have had a small part in them taking that next step. Right, right, yeah, no, exactly, no, you've done a lot, for sure, and, uh, and uh, and you're right. It, it is cool um, um, what you've done, and, and even what you're doing now at the road racing. It's neat to see you're into it. It's cool. Yeah, and road racing is exciting. I mean, the Yamaha Extended Service, Pat Clark team. You know, they, there's a lot of things that carry over from right all entities of, of racing. And uh, you know, what might work in a Supercross certainly might have some value to be considered. And that's one of the things I think that I try to do is, you know, is when I went to American Honda it's for road racing, it's like they have some good programs, but it doesn't mean that, you know, it has to always be the, the same. And this is the road we've always gone down. Right, there's, right. Like they always say, there's two ways to skin a cat, you know, and, and they both can be successful. And <laughs> look at John Michelle Bale and Jeff Stanton. I yeah, mean, like you said. Two different riding styles, both won championships. Look at out there right now, and you got – you know, you got James, you got Villapoto, you know, you got Reedy, you know, you you had the young kids, you know, you um Trey coming up. Yeah. All of them got a little bit of different riding styles. All of them had a little different backgrounds, you know, but they're getting the job done and, and it it's just it's awesome. Right. So and I I think for all the young kids out there and you know, just if you got something you just have to believe in yourself and you got to dedicate yourself to what you want to do, and you can get there if you really look at it, and you get a little bit of luck. And even if you're some kid from the nowhere in Pennsylvania, right? <laughs> from Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Um, if you don't believe me, ask Cernic. <laughs> right on. Well, thanks, uh, Ron Slicer Heben. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the BTOSports.com Racer X podcast show. It's uh, It's been an entertaining hour and 30 minutes. It flew by. I don't even – I still could do more questions, but uh, we'll wrap it up for for now. But uh, thank you, All right, man. Steve. Thank you. All right. And uh, hope to see you in Las Vegas. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Ron. Okay, bye. Bye. This has been the BTOSports.com podcast show brought to you by RacerX. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, 
it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Go Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I had pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny Omar. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX on the iTunes Store to enjoy these and many more great podcasts.